Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Abundant Life. I'm so glad you're here. Wherever you're gathering with us from, we're glad you've gathered. Daniel chapter 1 today. We're studying the book of Daniel verse by verse, line by line, this year. And we are making amazing speed, like we are going at warp speed. We're going to get all the way to the end of verse 6 today. I mean, we are flying through this thing, aren't we? Listen, we're going deeper before we start going faster. There's so much in Daniel 1 that I want you to be able to fully assimilate into your life. This ancient book of ancient wisdom is more relevant, I'm convinced, than it's ever been in any of our lives. As you understand the past, you start to understand now the present. 605 BC, Daniel is led into captivity. And the very same elements that took him into captivity in that Babylonian city are the very same elements that are alive today in 21st century. So it was last Friday, I think, Saturday night, can't remember which one. I was getting ready for bed, laying down, and I get a text from a number that I didn't recognize. Didn't know this person, wasn't sure how they had my number, but I get a text, I open up my phone, and they send me this picture right here. It's a picture of my youngest son, and it looks like he's smoking a cigarette. So as you can imagine, this had my attention. Like I thought I knew my son. I didn't know he was smoking. I thought I would know that if it were true. Now, if you smoke and maybe you have a nicotine addiction, look, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying I was surprised by this picture. I'm just telling you that because this is not a place of shame. Like, it just happened just a little while back. I pull into a gas station to gas up and uh, step out of my truck, and there's somebody else that I know from church, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he's like, Pastor Phil, nice to see you. I'm like, it's like that. I'm like, yo, so you don't think I saw that, right? Just, I don't care. I don't care. And it's a gas station, not a great place to be doing that, but other than that, it's your business, right? No shame here. But here's the point. Like, wow, really? I didn't know my son was smoking. This has to be a case of mistaken identity. That's really what I thought. That can't really be him. So I enlarged the picture. I'm like, that, that does look like him. I think that is him. I read the text. So the text is something like, Pastor Phil, uh, my name is Allie, and I took this picture from inside the building where your son was hanging out with his friends. I know he'd gone out with his friends. I didn't know where he was, but he was hanging out. And he said, because your church is so influential in our community, I was really saddened to see this picture. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble, but I thought you would want to know. And so I look really closely, and I think, man, I don't think this is a case of mistaken identity. I do think that's my son. And so I text this person back. I said, Allie, this makes me sad too. I am so sorry. I will take care of this. And then exactly 30 seconds later, I'm getting a FaceTime call from my son, Josh. The whole thing was a joke. It was Josh's idea to take this picture. I'm not sure, but I think one of his co-conspirators is sitting right there. And uh, the joke was on Pastor Phil, okay? That's not a cigarette. It's a fake cigarette. And so they decided, yeah, we're going to get Pastor Phil. Let's, let's, yeah. And so Josh typed the email. He sent the picture. I took the hook, line, and sinker. They are reeling me in. 
completely reeling me in. The joke was on me. All I can say is paybacks are you know what. Why am I telling you this story? Because I was hoping it was a case of mistaken identity. It wasn't mistaken identity. It was a joke all along, but it really was him. But do you understand, we live in a society that's going through more than a mistaken identity. We're having a true identity crisis. We have forgotten who we are because we have forgotten who God is. And so consequently, we have a whole generation, a nation that frankly is having an identity crisis. And this identity crisis was the very same identity crisis that Daniel was going through in 605 B.C. As the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar leads Daniel and other choice Hebrew children back to Babylon to re-indoctrinate them, re-educate them in a godly authority to give them a brand new sense of identity so he could redefine their morality. And this is what Babylon wants to do even now to our children. They want to eliminate our children's godly authority, redefine their identity, and reprogram their morality. Now, last week, we talked about that authority. It's so important. You know who your authority is because whose you are defines who you are. But what happens now is Nebuchadnezzar says, I I am now your king. I am now your authority. I've removed you from your family. I've removed you from your country. I've removed you from your God. I've conquered your God. My God has conquered your God, which means now you belong to me. And consequently, I'm going to give you a brand new identity. We pick it up right here in verse 6. Daniel 1 and verse 6. Now from among those... Of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave name to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I want you to notice what's happening here. Your authority defines your identity. See, whose you are defines who you are. And this isn't just a message that our children need. This is a message that some mom and daddies need too. Because you understand we live in a society that wants to redefine you, that wants to give you a brand new identity other than one that is godly. Now remember, the authority crisis is what leads to an identity crisis, and that's what leads into a morality crisis, meaning you do what you do because you are who you are, and you are who you are because of whose you are. See, Daniel is a name that means God is my judge, but now he and these other Hebrew children are going to get Babylonian names instead of godly names. And you see that authority crisis from last week leads to an identity crisis this week that leads to the morality crisis the next week. And we are living in a society that's having an authority crisis, and we're having an identity crisis, and we're having a morality crisis. You can see what's happening. Daniel is a name that means God is my my judge. Nebuchadnezzar now gives him a new name. It means Bell will protect. You see, he wanted to rename Daniel, and in renaming him, he wanted to give him a brand new identity. He had a godly name. God is my judge. He had godly parents that gave him that godly name. Daniel, you're going into Babylon. I don't want you to forget whose you are so that you never forget who you are. Remember, your name is Daniel. God is your judge. But now Nebuchadnezzar says, no, your God is dead. You now have a new God. That is my God, 
Bel will protect. Bel was the patron god of Babylon. Marduk was his name. Bel would be the Babylonian way of saying Lord Marduk. He's now saying you belong not to your Lord, your former Lord, as in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You now belong to the patron God of Babylon. You see, whose you are gets to define who you are. And it's really important we understand that because we live in a society with a forgotten identity. We have forgotten who we are because we've forgotten who God is. I mean, think about this. I just introduced you to my youngest son who played a joke on dad. His name is Josh. Joshua. Yeshua. It's a great name, Bible name. I got to name him. You know why? Because I made him. Now, I didn't make him by myself. Don't misunderstand. I had help. All right, I'm not going to draw you a picture, but you understand. See, because I made him, I got to name him. He didn't name himself. See, whose you are defines who you are. Uh, here's the reality. Names don't mean near as much in our day as it did in the ancient days. Names really meant something then. In fact, sometimes families would wait till the little ones started to grow so they could start to identify some character qualities in them and then name them appropriately. Like my name is Philip. Two else. Nobody calls me that, but that's my given name. I didn't have any say over that. If you don't like my name, it's not my fault. Because whose you are defines who you are. My mom and dad gave me the name Philip. It means lover of horses. <laughs> now look, I don't hate horses. I got no problem with horses. I even kind of like horses, but I, I can't say I love horses, all right? See, my name doesn't really mean anything, but, but it used to mean a lot of things. Daniel clearly had godly parents. They named him specifically for a reason. Daniel, God is your judge. Listen, we need that identity in this modern American society. Our children need to know God is your judge. Regardless of whoever else says whatever about you, regardless of whatever anybody else might judge you, God alone is judged because God made you, he created you, and whose you are is defined by who you are. You have Daniel who now has this identity crisis. Really? Now I have a higher authority, Bell, and now he's my identity. Really? No, here's the story of Daniel. Daniel never forgot who he was. They could give him a new name, but they could not give him a new identity. He has three Hebrew friends with him. And I want you to see the very same thing happens to them. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. They give him a new name, Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun God. See, they replaced his authority. No longer would it be the Lord. Now it's going to be the sun God. You belong to the sun God. He's your higher authority. Now you have a new identity. Uh, Michelle is a name that means who is the Lord. His parents literally named him, you belong to the Lord. But now he gets a new name, Meshach, which means who's is Ishtar. You see, they did this specifically. They're telling this young man, no, you no longer belong to the Lord, your God. Your God is dead. You now belong to Ishtar, our God. She was the goddess of fertility, of sexuality, of promiscuity. Now, there's another young man, Azariah, means the Lord is my help. We got a lot of good Bible names going on back there in that nursery. We need to give Azariah some love. We need, somebody needs to name their next little baby boy Azariah. Yeah, I mean, yeah? Any volunteers? Yeah, I didn't think so. Azariah. It means the Lord is my help. 
Now Nebuchadnezzar gives him a new name, Abednego, slave to Nebo. You see what's happening here? He's replaced their authority, so now he can give them a new identity. They are being indoctrinated, re-educated in the ways of Babylon. He wants to erase their memory of their Hebrew gods, that Hebrew worldview that was godly, and give them a brand new identity in this Babylonian city. Now listen, I've said throughout the course of this study so far, understand in your Bible what God is teaching. Babylon is more than simply an ancient city, though it was an ancient city. The ruins sit on the Euphrates River today, 50 miles south of the modern day city of Baghdad, Iraq. But it's more than an ancient city in your Bible. It is a metaphor. It is a symbol of a wicked world system that is still alive today, that is anti-God, that is anti-holy, that is anti-anything that is godly. And we live in a society that's becoming more like Babylon than it is the Bible which means our children specifically, the youngest among us, this generation, is having an identity crisis as parents, as grandmas and grandpas, as moms and dads. We need to give our kids a sense of identity so they know who they are based on whose they are. Listen, I'm created by God, which means I'm created to be a child of God, which means my identity is defined by God. And that's not just for children. Some of us need to be reminded of that. See, our children are being taught their identity is in their gender, their identity is in their sexuality, their, their identity is in popularity or prestige or pleasure or, or, or hobby. Listen, there was a time in my life my identity was seriously in football. I mean, the idolatry in that time of my life is how I identified myself. I remember going through an identity crisis when I was only like 21 years of age because I realized my football career is over and I've uh, blown out my knee and I've blown out my shoulder. I'm not going to go play in the NFL. I did go on to play in the NFL. It was the Nerf Football League. <laughs> but in that time of my life, this had been my identity. I remember this specifically. And every single young person will go through some type of that identity crisis where we're trying to figure out, now, who am I? And that's what I want you to see, that parents specifically have to give our kids a sense of, this is who I am, this is what I am, because I will do what I do, the morality crisis, based on who I am, the identity crisis, based on whose I am, the authority crisis. I'm created by God as a child of God, which means my identity alone is defined by God. He made me, he created me, he is the one that gets to name me, Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. You've heard that human beings are made in the image of God. Most people don't even know what that means. What that means is God's triune image. I want you to notice something. Then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make man in our image plural image. What's going on here? This word God. The singular name of God is El, but that's not the word here. The word here is Elohim, the most used God over 2,500 times you see Elohim in the Old Testament. God has many names. He's far too infinite to go by one name. Elohim implies creator. Elohim is the name of God, not El, but Elohim. It implies a plurality of majesty, not three gods, but one God, eternal existing, in three persons, his triune nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He says, let us make man in our image. You know what? You were meant to bear the triune image of God. 
And this is what God does with Adam, Genesis 2 and verse 7. It says that God made Adam of the dust of the ground. There was his body. It says, breathed in him the breath of life. There was his spirit. Then it says, man became a living soul. You see, you're one person, but you have three parts in your person, body, soul, and spirit. I hear people say, well, I just can't understand the Trinity. That makes no sense. Yeah, well, you are one. You is one. Because you were created in the image of God to bear the triune image of your creator. Now he goes on, he says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You need to put this in your memory bank, male and female, he created them. That will be important later. Male and female bears the image of God. See, the image of God is not found in your gender. It's found in your triune nature. Now you know that when Adam sinned, he lost the triune nature of God. God said, don't eat of that tree, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What happened? He still had a living body, a living soul, but now he had a dead spirit, which is why all of his offspring, all of his posterity, you and me, are born physically alive, but spiritually dead. You had a living body, living soul the day you were born, but a dead spirit which is why Jesus said twice in John 3, you must be born again. When you put your faith in him, you are born again spiritually. God gives life to your spirit that was dead and you get back the triune image that was lost by Adam in the garden to bear the image of God, which means my identity as a child of God and my purpose is to bear the image of God. This is why God put us on this planet. My identity now is as a child of God and my purpose is to bear the image of God. I now have the triune nature of God and because it says now as a child of God, because I've received by faith the Son of God, I get the divine nature of God, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, so that now I can be as Jesus was, living proof of a loving God to watching world. That's why we're here. That's our identity and that is our purpose. And our children need to be taught this and reminded of this over and over again because we live in a world that's gonna tell them everything different in direct opposition. We live in a Babylonian society. No longer are we a Judeo-Christian civilization. Biblical Christianity will never again be mainstream. Let's just be honest about the situation. We are captives in Babylon, which is why we need to remember whose we are so we never forget who we are. Because we live at a time in our Babylonian civilization that's an open rebellion against God's image and God's kingdom. A world that's increasingly becoming hostile to the gospel. It is the very same rebellion that began in Genesis chapter 11. Remember Nimrod was the first king of this ancient city of Babylon. His name means Lord of Rebellion. And in Genesis chapter 11, he builds a city called Babel that would later become Babylon, Babel, gate to God. He said, let us build a city and a tower that will reach into heaven and build a name for ourselves. And this Lord of Rebellion launched a kingdom and direct opportunity opposition to God's kingdom. And that city died long ago, but the spirit of Babylon lives on and is picking up momentum and is picking up hostility toward biblical Christianity. And it's in direct opposition to God's kingdom. Do you understand? Satan hates the image of God. 
You see, Satan is the Lord of rebellion that was pulling Nimrod's strings behind the scenes. He's still the Lord of rebellion that is pulling the strings behind the scenes in the 21st century, and he hates the image of God. He wants to distort the image of God. He wants to destroy the image of God. He is even now in the face of God. You see, that same rebellion is still alive. It hasn't died. Our kids, many of them, are assimilating into Babylon unwittingly and unaware. I want you to see, and I shared a little bit of this last week, listen carefully, this is, this is what it looks like in modern America. A secularized society becomes a society of self-idolatry which leads to self-identity. Remember, whose you are defines who you are. So I told you last week, Babylon morphs resurfaces, renames itself from generation to generation, beginning on the civilization in the east where Satan rules the nations, 1 John 5, 19. It's with counterfeit religion, Buddhism, Hinduism. Or in the 20th century, it was Soviet communism, which made war on religion. But Satan knew in the Western civilization it wasn't going to happen that way. No, he introduced something called secularism. Secularism is the worldview that says there is no God, or if there is a God, he doesn't matter. And that's pretty much become the worldview of the average American. Even those that claim to be Christian at times live more pagan than Christian. See, it's infiltrated even the church. So secularism leads to religion. Don't, don't misunderstand. Atheists have a religion. It's called secular humanism. In the 1930s, the Humanist Manifesto was penned for the first time, where secular humanism was defined as a religion, the religion of atheism or secularism. Secular humanism is self-deification. There is no God but me. And if there is no God but me, that leads to self-idolatry, which leads to self-identity, which means I can be anything I want to be. I have my truth. I'm just living my truth. Do you see how we got here? Now, this is the worldview that our kids are now being raised in. The problem with self-deification that leads to self-definition is that is actually self-delusion and self-distortion. See, we have forgotten who we are because we have forgotten whose we are. And this worldview is everywhere. Some of the most powerful shapers of society. I don't care where you look, from pop culture to movies to entertainment to music to politics. This is the worldview now of the average American. You can see it everywhere you look. For example, Hillary Clinton wrote these words in her book, Living History. My goal is to remold society by redefining what it means to be a human human being in the 21st century, or 20th century. Now, wait a minute, Hillary. Did you make us? Did you create us? Did you create yourself? See, how, how do you get to redefine what it means to be a human being unless you made human beings? See, this is the worldview, though, of many people in many places, uh, in 1992, there was a landmark decision in the Supreme Court. Justice Kennedy ruled in favor of abortion rights in this landmark case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And in so doing, he wrote these words right here. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. 
I want you to see first how he defines liberty. The li- liberty, in his definition, is to define one's own concept of existence. Do you understand this definition of liberty leads to moral anarchy? What he's saying is liberty means I can do whatever I want to do. Liberty is not, listen carefully, so that you can do whatever you want to do. That's called living lawlessly, and if you live lawlessly, it will lead to captivity. No, liberty is not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the freedom to do what you ought. But we've distorted what it means to have liberty. Now look what he says. And the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. Wait a minute. Did you speak yourself into existence? Who made who? See, whose you are defines who you are. What he's saying is now you get to define who you are as though you made you. The meaning of the universe. Oh, wait, wait, did, did we create the universe? Who made the cosmos? How do we get to define the meaning of the universe or the mystery of human life? You see what he's saying here? Listen. We live at a time of moral anarchy, and it's because of self-idolatry we have forgotten there is a higher authority. And Babylon, and the spirit of Babylon, hates the innocent life. Satan hates the image of God and wants to destroy it at all costs. And here's a man arguing for abortion. Abortion is built on self-idolatry that leads to moral anarchy, even the destruction of the most innocent among us inside the mother's womb. Do you understand that abortion in the 21st century is no different than slavery in the 19th century? The depravity of human slavery in American history. How did it happen? Why did it happen? How did it persist as long as it did? I'll tell you how. Because generations of Americans, many of which would profess to be Christians, convinced themselves that another group of humans weren't fully human. And it was sick. And it was in the face of God. Now how do Americans today, many of which that profess to be Christians, convince themselves that abortion is okay? In exactly the same way, you have to convince yourself that the life inside the womb is subhuman. And it's in the face of God. It wants to destroy the image of God. Because Satan hates the image of God, but this is what happens when a society starts walking in self-idolatry, it leads to moral anarchy, and everyone does whatever is right in their own eyes, whatever it is that makes them happy. See, self-deification leads first and foremost to self-gratification. Whatever makes me happy, whatever is best for me, is complete moral tyranny. Modern American society has made a deity out of humanity which distorts our true identities and leads to moral anarchy. And this is the world our children are being raised in. For a long, long time in American civilization, it was a Judeo-Christian worldview. That simply means there was a recognition by the average American that there's a higher authority, that God is God and we are not. But now, our children are being raised in a world that says they're God, which means they can define whatever truth they want to and they can live their truth, even though it's not objective truth, even though it's not God's truth. They can define their own truth. Self-deification leads to self-identification. And we see this worldview everywhere we look in the major shapers and influencers. 
And I'm sharing this today like I did the week before because you cannot understand how to thrive in Babylon until you understand how we got into Babylon. How did we get here? And you can see this worldview over and over again in various places. I don't know if you've ever heard the name John Dewey. You probably haven't heard the name John Dewey, but you've been influenced by John Dewey. And if you went to public schools, you were educated by John Dewey. Now listen carefully. Our church is full of public school teachers, public school administrators. And I want you to know you're right where God has called you to be. You see, God wants us to embed ourselves in culture, not run from culture, but to embed ourselves in the culture. The gospel doesn't run from the darkness. The gospel runs to the darkness. And for too long, Christians have tried to create a subculture so we can just stay within the safe four walls of our church and just kind of lob verbal hand grenades over the top and talk about how bad the world is. That is not what God's called us to do. We don't run from the darkness. We run to the darkness. The light invades the darkness. I want you to know I'm thankful. If you are a public school teacher, public school administrator, I'm thankful you're right where God has called you to be. But I do want you to recognize something. If your children are going to public school, it's not in public education where they're going to learn how to be a Christian. They're not going to learn a Christian worldview there. They're going to learn something completely differently. John Dewey was his name. He was an avowed atheist and a secular humanist and a self-described democratic socialist. He was also one of the leading educators in the early part of the 20th century at the University of Michigan and then later at Columbia University. He was one of those that brought the Frankfurt Institute from Frankfurt, Germany, the Marxist Institute, to Columbia in New York City. In 1928, he went to the Soviet Union actually because he wanted to personally see how the Soviets were now educating their children. It was 10 years after the Bolshevik Revolution. And it was there that he saw how education could be the source of politicizing children. And he wrote about it and published it in his memoirs. He came back and began to promote the idea of education becoming a place of politicalization. And so there became a political agenda in public education. Not God's agenda, but a different agenda altogether. And by the 1970s, the educators had learned well. He'd educated many of the educators that would influence the educators that would influence the educators. You may have never heard of Charles Pierce, but you've been influenced by him. You've been educated by him if you ever watched Sesame Street. He was actually one of the creators and consultants of Sesame Street, which many of us grew up on. He actually was a professor at Harvard, a professor of education, professor of psychiatry. In 1973, having been a disciple of John Dewey, he said these words in a speech to thousands of other educators. He said these words, every child in America is entering school at the age of five is mentally ill because he comes to school with certain allegiances to our founding fathers, toward our elected officials, toward his parents, toward a belief in a supernatural being and toward the sovereignty of his nation as a separate entity. It's up to you as teachers to make all these sick children well by creating the international child of the future. Now, can you start to see what has been happening generation after generation? There are wonderful educators still in the public school system. Many of you are wonderful educators But some people enter education for activism. 
See, this is what he's teaching. This is what he's saying. A contemporary of this man, Charles Pierce, was Charles Potter. He was a pastor with the Unitarian Universalist Church. He was also an avowed secular humanist and a secular humanist activist. He said these words, education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism. Remember, humanism is self-deification. Humanism is the religion of secularism. Education is thus a most powerful ally of humanism, and every public school is a school of humanism. What can the theistic Sunday school, meeting for an hour once a week and teaching only a fraction of the children, do to stem the tide of a five-day program of humanistic teaching? Now, I'm not telling you you should pull your kids out of public school. To the contrary, Daniel went to public school. In fact, he had a full-ride scholarship to the University of Babylon where he graduated at the top of his class. I'm not saying you should pull your kids out of public education. I personally think you ought to have the freedom to make options that are best for your children. I am saying it is time to quit letting the schoolhouse or even the church house be the surrogate parent. God gave you those children for a reason, to raise them up to know and love Jesus. So don't be naive even if they go to a Christian school, is what happens in your house that in the end is gonna matter more than anybody else's house. But there's an agenda in our society, the same one as Nebuchadnezzar, indoctrination, re-education, steal their higher authority so we can reprogram their identity, which in the end defines their morality. It's happening. When self is a God, personal identity is as unlimited as the human imagination. When you go back to Genesis 11, where this rebellion began at the building of the Tower of the Babel, God came down to put down this rebellion, and it was not because supposedly primitive men and women thought they could build a tower high enough to actually reach into heaven. When you read the text, what it says is now nothing they imagine to do will be withheld from them. I would suggest that we are right back at the Tower of Babel, that now nothing they imagine to do will be withheld from them. You see, when self is a God, personal identity is as unlimited as the human imagination. I can be anything I want to. I can live by my own truth. In 2015, in San Francisco, the Drag Queen Story Hour began at a public library. And since that time, the Drag Queen Story Hour has spread all across our land at various public libraries where you don't no longer see the Babylonians taking our children into captivity. Now what you see is American parents driving them personally, buckling them up first, and taking them. Now here's the biggest problem with this. These children do not have the maturity to discern between fantasy and reality. Babylon wants your children at younger and younger and younger ages. They want to sexualize our children at younger and younger and younger ages. And the irony, the hypocrisy, is on the one hand, we denounce what amounts to a culture of sexual predation and objectifying women in this hashtag MeToo culture. At the same time, hypocritically, we give our children this mixed message and identity while celebrating celebrities like Miley Cyrus and 
and Beyonce who shake their barely clad dividends <laughs> in front of a poster that says feminist. And in so doing, what are we doing? We are incubating a sexualized culture. It's no wonder our kids are confused. We teach our daughters that their image and their identity is not in their bodies. And then we give them images and idolatry that says that is the picture of a real woman. And we denounce men objectifying women and then we teach our daughters to objectify themselves. And it happens at younger and younger ages. See, this is Freudian theology. I know nobody really read Sigmund Freud, even in Western Civ when you had to, you really weren't paying attention, but a lot of people did. Do you understand Sigmund Freud taught that your true identity is your sexuality from the moment of your conception, even in your mother's womb. And if you wanna be your authentic self, it is the absolute, complete liberation of the libido. Hello, this is where we now live. This is what our kids are being taught. And when self is a God, it knows no limits. It's it's, it's anything to the human imagination. Listen carefully. If you're a young person, a teenager, 20-something, if you're experiencing something we now call gender dysphoria, confused about your gender, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And here's the truth. God loves you intimately. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you with infinity. And your life didn't happen accidentally. Your life happened providentially. Psalm 139 says that God knit you together perfectly, wonderfully, and beautifully inside your mother's womb. And even before you had a human body, he considered you a human being. And he knows you perfectly. Your life statistically was an impossibility. But God ordained your life supernaturally. That's why you're here. And he loves you perfectly. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and the confusion comes because we have been lied to by the enemy. Jesus called Satan the liar and the father of lies when he speaks the truth. The truth is not in him. He cannot speak the truth because he has no truth in him. He is the liar of the father of lies and our society is being taken into captivity because we believe the lies of the enemy and Satan has lied to you. He's lied to you. And adults have lied to you too. See, there have always been little girls that liked hanging out with guys and doing guy things. But that didn't make them a guy, it made them a girl that just liked doing guy things. But, but now we take those little girls that like doing guy things and we tell them, well, honey, you might not be a girl. It's too early to say. You'll, you'll make your own choice later on. It's no wonder they're confused. These kids cannot discern between fantasy and reality. There have always been little boys who like doing artistic things more than athletic things. But they were still boys. They were just more artistic than athletic. Nobody called them a girl, seriously, like you might be a girl. It's too early to say. Nobody did that. But now we do. 
Now we do. It's no wonder they're confused. And it's straight out of the pit of hell. It is demonic what we've done to our children. Because Satan hates the innocent life and he hates the image of God and he wants to distort the image of God. What did we learn in Genesis 1, 26 and 27? In the beginning, God created man and the image of God made he them. Male and female, he created them. There are only two genders, male and female. And I will promise you, if you were born a male, God made you that way specifically. It didn't happen accidentally. God loves you perfectly. But Satan hates you. The devil hates you. And you will never be free until you come to the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and it's the truth shall set you free. Jesus loves you deeply, but you're believing the lies, the lies of the enemy. A secularized society leads to self-idolatry, which leads to, on a personal level, distorted identities individually on a societal level. This is where we now live. So in a society, it's moral hypocrisy, and I would suggest even intellectual hypocrisy. It's complete anarchy. It's lunacy. It's crazy. I submit to you one example. There are many examples. I'll give you this illustration. This is Rachel DeLazelle. In 2014-2015, Rachel was the president of the Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP. She was also on staff at Eastern Washington University as a professor of American, African-American studies. Now, for years and years, she had lived a lie. She had passed herself off as a black woman when, in fact, she was a white woman. She told the world that his father, her father was black and her mother was white. And everything went fine. It went on for years and years until finally her mom and dad got tired of her going on TV and living a lie. And they blew the whistle. They went public. And in so doing, what they were saying is, look, Rachel is white. She's not black. Her daddy's white. Her mom is white. I should know I gave birth to her. Not only that, but her grandma and grandpa's white. Everybody in her family's white. She's not black. She's white. Now what happened next? She was canceled instantly. Removed as the chapter president of the NAACP, removed from her staff position on Eastern Washington University, instantly canceled, why? Because she'd been living a lie. Now here's what I want you to see, the moral hypocrisy, the intellectual hypocrisy. Had she simply, instead of saying, I'm black, when in fact she was white, instead had she simply said, I'm a man, when in fact she was a woman, she would have been canceled, she would have been celebrated. Yet both ethnicity as well as your gender is driven by DNA. What she said in her explanation is she believes race is a social construct. See, critical theory has replaced critical thinking. Marxism is built on critical theory. There's no such thing as human nature, just class nature. And everything is a social construct to oppress us. So, race was a social construct. This is what she was saying, because it's the same thing they say about gender. Gender is a social construct. On the other hand, the hypocrisy intellectually, besides morally, is that both are not social constructs. They are scientific constructs. Both are driven by DNA. But see, now, 
we want to use the science when it advances our narrative and then ignore the science when it doesn't advance our narrative. Maybe you're watching the news recently. This has been on the news just recently. Whoopi Goldberg, one of the ladies on The View, was suspended recently from The View because in an earlier episode, the ladies were discussing the Holocaust when Whoopi Goldberg said these words. If you're going to do this, then let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. It's not about race. It's about man's inhumanity to man. Even though everybody knows the Holocaust was built on anti-Semitism, it was built on racism. But you see, critical theory has replaced critical thinking in this age of ideological idolatry. Ideological idolatry is when you believe if any part of a narrative is true, then it's all true, or if any part of a narrative is not true, then none of it's true. Now, critical thinkers can pick out the parts that are right from the parts that are wrong, but we live in ideological idolatry, which says you're either all in or you're all out. Critical theory says white people are racist. There's no human nature, only class nature, which means if white people are racist and that's their class, then there's no way a white person can be the victim of racism, which means the Holocaust couldn't have been driven by racism because you have white people oppressing other white people for the race. See, all of a sudden, the faulty thinking is being exposed by critical theory instead of critical thinking. And it's intellectual hypocrisy and it's moral hypocrisy. We need to teach our children how to think critically and yes, biblically, as opposed to pure emotion and cliches that rule the day. So what do we do? Listen carefully. If you're a grandma, grandpa, mommy, daddy, listen. You gotta begin today, teach your child whose they are. Teach them whose they are. My identity first and foremost is not as a white person or a black person or an American or a Republican or a Democrat and all the places and all the tribes that people wanna put you. No, my identity first and foremost is that I am a child of God, which means my people are Jesus' people. And my priority first and foremost is to God and the multi-ethnic kingdom of God. You're not gonna assign to me an identity based on what I look like. And our children need to know who they are so they never forget whose they are. No, baby, your identity is not in your sexuality. Sweetie, your identity is not in your body. Your identity is a child of God because you've been made by God, created by God. And this is the story of Daniel. Daniel chapter one, he had a godly mama. These other three Hebrews did too. They had godly daddies, they gave them godly names going into Babylon, knowing ahead of time they'd get a new name, but they wouldn't get a new identity. Daniel's a name that means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means who is the Lord. Azariah means the Lord is my help. Now we know historically there were dozens of other Hebrew children that went into captivity with them. Their names have been forgotten, lost forever from the text, lost in history. The implication, they quickly assimilated into Babylon. Got a new name, got a new identity, but not these four. Oh no. They said, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, you can give me a new name, but you can't give me a new identity. 
I know whose I am. I won't forget who I am. I am Daniel, God is my judge. And whatever you may think of me, whatever you may say about me, it don't gonna change who I am. God is my judge. I'll leave it to him. That's what our children need to learn. God alone gets to define them because God alone is the one that made them. Number two, raise your children in biblical community. Do not lose sight of the fact that Daniel wasn't alone. Daniel had three Hebrew brethren. He had some brothers with him. These were 14, 15-year-old kids, and they were in community. In this Babylonian society, biblical community is more important than it's ever been. For whatever Chris and I might have done wrong, there's at least one thing we did right. We made sure from the time our children were just little that we were raising them in community. Like we purposely found other moms and dads in a similar season of life with children our age, and we would gravitate to them. We were in community with them because we're going to raise them together in community. This is why student ministry, what we call fusion here at Abundant Life, what happens here on Wednesday nights, it is so critical. It is so crucial. And I'm going to tell you, what, what happens here on Wednesday nights, what happens on the platform is not the most important part. Tashan does a phenomenal job of preaching the Word of God to these young people. But what happens afterward, I'm talking about the small group time, the adult volunteers. Rory, thank you. Thank you for investing in these young people. where it's an adult, a godly adult that's taking these students into a small group, there's community there, which means if you're the parent of a student, you ought to be here on Wednesday night asking to Sean, where do you need me? The days of youth ministry, being the surrogate, are over. There should never be a wonder where the adult volunteers are in this kid's wing, Journey Kids, on Sunday morning. They should never have to wonder where the parents are. Because the church is not meant to be the surrogate. It's meant to be the supplement. We want to have a partnership. And if you got little ones, now's the time to start. There's small groups going on in that kid's wing every Sunday morning. You find some other families. We're going to jump in together. We're going to raise our children together in biblical community. Daniel had it. That's part of why he was able to stand strong in the face of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man at that time on earth. Number three, train your children personally. Personally. Ephesians 4.30, fathers, yeah, presumably mothers, provoke not your children to wrath or rebellion, but train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you will not train your children to know and love Jesus, I will promise Babylon will train them for you. Gladly. Gladly, they'll take them off your hands for you. Nickelodeon, one of the most watched viewing um, channels in kitty culture, Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues teamed up with the drag queen for Pride Week, where millions and millions of American children sing with the drag queen. Babylon will train your kids for you. If you won't, they will. And what children learn the earliest will run the deepest and last the longest. See, this is why they want them at younger and younger ages. 
I want you to see God has given us those little ones for a reason, specifically. This is a book I recommend, Johnny the Walrus. It's a children's book. Babylon wants to train him, here's your chance. So this is a children's book, New York Times bestseller by Matt Walsh. Guess what this book is about? It's about a little boy that thought he was a walrus. He used spoons for tusks. His parents took him to the doctor, actually get the change, where he found out he's a boy, he's not a walrus. Because if you're a boy and you were born a boy, you can no more become a walrus than if you were born a boy, you can become a girl. It's just scientific. It's just science. It's just true. Whether or not you want it to be true for you. See, gender is not driven by hormones. It's not even driven by your anatomy. It's driven by your DNA. So start them early. This is, this is the world our kids live in now. Take, take, take what culture gives you. Like, I'm not saying boycott Disney. Let's just face it, Disney, Disney wants to indoctrinate our kids. I saw it when my kids were little. Disney actually has remade The Lion King. Lion King was a big deal when my kids were little. Now it's a big deal with kids. So, so I remember watching Lion King with my little ones, and there's just subtle indoctrination. So you have Mufasa, the daddy lion, who takes the baby lion Simba under his wing, and they're looking up at the night sky and says, uh, those are the kings of the past up there. Wait a minute, time out, pause. Hey, guys, that's not true. That's not true. See, that's a subtle indoctrination into a false theology. Take those teaching moments, leverage them. I'm not saying boycott Disney, though some shows you might ought to boycott. I'm just saying use these for teaching moments. Bridge the culture that they're in with the gospel. Here's one of the most viewed Disney films, I think it's a Disney film, uh, released in 2013. It's Disney, it's Frozen. Millions of little girls have watched this movie. Did you know the gospel is embedded in this movie? Now, I don't think Disney purposely embedded the gospel in an allegory in this movie, but it's there. So use it. The story is about Elsa. She's the queen who throws off all restraint and all rules and unwittingly puts a curse on her kingdom and everything is frozen, but she has a little sister. And the only way this kingdom can be redeemed is through true love. And the story goes, this little sister of hers gives her life for Elsa. Do you know there's the gospel? Here's an opportunity for your kids. Hey guys, you don't have a little sister who gave her life, but you do have an older brother. His name is Jesus. And Jesus died for our sin because only true love could redeem a broken creation and redeem us from the penalty of our sin. So you're using with your little ones what the culture gives you for these teaching moments. I was never great at family devotions. If it works for you, go for it. It just never really worked for me. But these types of impromptu moments is when our kids are learning and ready. Elsa had a theme song. It's her coming out song. It's her anthem. It was this. It's a song entitled, Let It Go. Here's the lyrics. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. 
no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. This is the anthem our children is learning in this Babylonian society. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Use the lyrics to teach your children that if you choose to live lawlessly, you will eventually live in slavery. And that's exactly what's happening in modern American society. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. No, we're not free, we're going into captivity. But God has given us Jesus. Because if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's teach our children how to live freely in victory in this Babylonian society. I wanna do that right now with you. Would you stand with me right now, wherever you're watching or worshiping from, stand with us, would you? Right now, as a family, I wanna pray for our little ones. Grandmas, grandpas, moms and dads, representing hundreds and even thousands of kids. Let's bow right now before the, the high king of heaven and pray for them, Jesus. I pray for each of these moms and dads today, grandmas and grandpas, that God, you would give them profound wisdom in the days ahead to raise up these children to know and love you, that you give them courage in their every decision, that you give them wisdom in these future discussions, that you would help them, God, in the days ahead. And Lord, I pray for these little ones that each of them would grow up to know you and to love you, that they'd never forget whose they are because we'd never ever cease to teach them whose they are. I pray, God, these little ones that are gathered in this nursery and other places would grow up to know you and love you and to be powerfully, powerfully used of you as Daniel was in Babylon all the days of his life. God, help us, I pray, to be filled with your grace, filled with your spirit, fearless and faithful in the days ahead. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.